0: Boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm your number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes.
1: Be afraid. Be very afraid.
0: Seven days. (laughs) I am the Dr. We have such sights to show you. I... I said... I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of words and of children. What's box? in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara.
1: One by one, or we will take you. Never get out of bed again!
0: You gotta be fucking kidding. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror Podcast. The only podcast that's willing to do whatever it takes to make you love us. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live right here on Wednesday every... Oh, sorry, we're live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. So you're always welcome to join us. We hope we see you in the live chat. This week, we are covering select horror films released October 1st through October 7th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL and with me tonight is Eugene. <laughs> What's up everybody? The director extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh was that the first time you've seen the new trailer? That is. What'd you think? Oh, it's
1: awesome. I'm like I was like, "Ooh, Hellraiser." Shining. the thing i kept getting more excited <laughs> on
0: like every single quote <laughs> awesome awesome i am i, I was i was put it together and just kind of like what i was trying i was like we need a new we, I was like we need a new trailer for season five going into season five and i was kind of like what can we do what can we do we need to so i want to do something different something like completely different And i was like well we got this amazing artwork that josh olsen put together for us so i wanted to utilize it in a new way and then you know and then the lines for movies came in and it just kind of like just kind of like coalesced So I was really, really happy to have that turned out. So I'm glad that you dig it.
1: It it worked awesome. I'm still here, by the way. I don't know my camera's been acting up a little bit, but I am still here. (laughs) I'm going to try to fix this in a second. Yes. I I definitely
0: really enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yes, Eugene is uh, just temporarily a virtual nipple. So uh, hopefully he will be (laughs) back shortly. Um, But I see a whole bunch of people in the live chat tonight. Uh, Let me go in first. Let's pull up that amazing patreon banner those are all of the amazing individuals that help wait is that it no that's not it that's the patreon banner that was that was a different banner uh those are all the amazing individuals who helped to make the show possible so thank you all so much for your support we really really do appreciate it and of course a huge giant thank you to all the individuals who are members of the army of the dead, because you can get channel memberships here on we- week and horror now here on YouTube. And I hope you enjoy all of the emojis that I made for you and the channel badge that you have access to. So let fly those emojis out there. So, uh, cause I, uh, th- those took time and I'm very, very proud of them. So and I, as a matter of <laughs> fact, my Use shirt them. is, yes, my shirt is kind of the same, but anyway, but I, um, I hope you all enjoy those. So thank you all so very much for that support. And if you want to support the show, it is literally like, a dollar a month. It's like 99 cents a month and you can help us to make this show possible. So we do appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. Let's see. Who do we have in the live chat tonight? Well, first and foremost, I have to say this because I saw it while we were getting ready to go live. A huge giant thank you to Weekend Horror Support, a longtime supporter, Sarcasm, who gifted out five memberships to the Army of the Dead. So thank you very much, Sarcasm, and welcome. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, Rodent No Last Name, Raven Darkstar, Robert Biter, Javers, Some Werewolf. Uh, let me see. Make sure Some Werewolf, Javers, Robert Biter, Raven Darkstar, and Rodent No Last Name to the Army of the Dead. Uh, please enjoy those emojis. I hope you all dig them very, very much. So thank you very much for that support, Sarcasm. You rock. Thank you very, very generous. Who do we have in the live chat tonight? Before we get kicking off, uh, let's see. First, we got Travis Brown, who was first up. Good to see you, sir. Who's a member of the Army of the Dead and a longtime Patreon supporter? Thank you very much, Travis. Good to see you. Casey Cooper as well is here. Thank you so much for being here, Casey Cooper, as well as wrote it in no last name. Gabba Gabba to you. Please enjoy your new membership. And I see Dr. Nimrod as well. Good to see you Dr. Nimrod. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Robert Bider's there, one of our big winners this way this past a uh, couple of weeks ago. He won. And I hope you enjoy your prize when it arrives. So I think it did arrive. So let me know, Robert. Um, but it should be arriving here soon, hopefully. Teespring, you know, you never know. But uh, good to see you, Robert. Thanks for being here. Raven Darkstar as well. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out. Says, I've been here since 6 since six o'clock and finally got my chat working. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, good to see you, Raven. Thanks so much for being here. Who else do we have? Who else to see? Jay Verz. There he is. Says, I actually thought there would be a break between season 4 and 5, but no, I missed the first episode. You guys are machines. Thank you very much, bud. We do appreciate that. And yes, why would we ever take a break? There's so many horror films to talk about so does much horror take a break yeah i don't think so never does and of course we are we are big we are big you know like horror film throbbing brain filmmakers over here so we we constantly have shit that we have to talk about that we that we want to talk about that we want to like and you know, just impress upon you so there's always stuff to talk about so now we would never take a break absolutely but thank you very much javers we appreciate you being here always awesome Robert Bider had us at 3 minutes, 20 seconds. I guess that was the pool for when we were going to go live. I got it in at 5 minutes. So there's always kind of a pool. Uh, Let's see. Hey, Sarcasm. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. As well as make sure I didn't miss anybody. Ah, Charlie Welch, the only man on the internet never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie or Welchy, as we like to call him. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, bud. Joshua Lee as well says, hey, everyone. Good to see you, Josh. Appreciate you being here. Dr. Nimrod says, JL, that beard is looking fantastic. Almost ready for Christmas. Getting there. Getting there. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, I think I've just gotten past the Saruman phase. Now I'm, I'm trying to creep it towards like Santa and maybe even Gandalf territory one day. I think that'd you be cool.
1: Go, you have to go epic. You might as well go
0: wizard. Yeah, I'm trying to go, yeah, full wizard. I'm trying to just you know, like just, you know, full that you shall not pass. That kind of thing, you know, it's what you, that's where what, that's what the real, that's where the real power is uh ivy gentry's here good to see ivy gentry says i'm here but going to lurk my connection sucks well we're glad you're lurking ivy thank you so much for hanging out there's all those amazing emojis i hope you all dig those thank you very very much dr nimrod is a new member of the army of the dead thank you so much dr nimrod you rock we appreciate that support denova 28's here another one of our patreon supporters and of course a member of the army of the dead good to see you denova appreciate you being here As well as I see, I oh, full Gandalf. Yep, that's right. Yep. Oh, Casey Cooper says, "Hell with full wizard. Go full dwarf and tuck it in your pants." (laughs) (laughs) It's the beards. In fact, dwarf women are so dwarf women and men are so alike in appearance. No, dwarf women are so alike in appearance; they often mistaken for dwarf men. (laughs) (laughs) It's the beards. All right. So, we got amazing people in the chat tonight and amazing stuff to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, this being the first episode of the month of October, the spooky season has finally arrived. We love the spooky season here at Week in Horror. It's like the month that, it's, this is literally the month that we live for. And I think virtually everybody loves it. There's no disagreement. Everyone loves the month of October because it has fucking Halloween in it. And Halloween is the best holiday Ever. yeah I don't think I'm wrong on that.
1: Oh, no, yeah. You were totally correct.
0: Absolutely.
1: It, yeah. It, it's like Halloween, and then the year could just end after that.
0: There you go. All we need is October. Just a year long. Christmas, you know, like you know, fuck all the rest of them. You know, Halloween town. That's where we need, that's where we need to be to be hanging out. So you know, once we get through Halloween, oh, oh crap, it's only 362 days towards Halloween to <laughs> Halloween. So that's the kind of life that, that's the kind of world we need to live in. Um so the one of the cool things is what's interesting about this Halloween, but actually not just this Halloween, but this upcoming October, is there is a slew of fucking releases this month, a huge amount of releases coming out this month. And what I was curious about was was there anything in particular out of all the movies that are that are hitting this October? Because there's a bunch, both on streaming and theaters, so and VOD, so coming straight to VOD that are on all the streaming services, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, and, of course, going to theaters as well. Is there anything in particular that you happen to be looking for or looking forward to? So I'm looking forward to a couple of things. First of
1: all, I'll talk about the ones I'm not looking forward to. Because there's (laughs) so (laughs) many. So some of the ones I'm not looking forward to, I think people know my feelings on exorcist movies or exorcism style movies <laughs> and for some reason they feel like it's compelled to make another one the exorcist believe where there's two girls possessed Ooh, we're doubling it. we're doubling the stakes yeah you're <laughs> doubling down and i'm just like listen you're genre capped in 1972
0: <laughs> you beat. it's just a
1: long slide down and for some reason we're still on so i'm definitely definitely not and so i was watching the trailer and as soon uh-huh. as like the little notes came in i was like popcorn flip
0: fucker <laughs> <laughs> threw his shit it's like nope 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 nope
1: and okay
0: i'm still here
1: even though my camera says otherwise <laughs>
0: Well, I have to say, yes. So Travis Brown would like to point out it's Exorcist, it's Exorcist Believer, the Exorcist Believer. And so I want to say I'm actually, I'm actually curious. While I like the Exorcist films, one and three, three, I mean, one is, one is legendary. Three is fucking fantastic because of the direct uh, work of, uh, of Blatty and Friedkin. So two was just kind of like, eh, like you know, people had problems with two. And of course the two, the two films that followed after that prequel and uh, it was like, Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, and then like Exorcist, uh, I can't remember the the subtitle on that one. But I'm very curious because Blumhouse is involved, and I'm a Blumhouse fan. As much as Johnny hates that, and as much as Johnny hates their their like Blumhouse does some good films, but Plot Hole has a real like like Johnny has a real issue with some of what Blumhouse does. And while he wasn't a big fan of the Blumhouse tri- the Halloween trilogy. Blumhouse is doing setting up the exorcist films to be a new trilogy. So like Ellen Bernstein is, is signed on for three films. So this is go, Like this is going to be a David Gordon green directed trilogy produced by Blumhouse in the same vein that they did the Halloween film. So they're, they're, they're kind of doing that again. And this is intriguing because Blumhouse is getting into like, uh, is getting into trilogy territory by basically do these three picture deals. They've done the same thing with five nights at Freddy's, which is coming out. And Five Nights at Freddy's uh, has Matthew Lillard signed on for three for a three picture deal. So this seems to be a new trend that Blumhouse is getting into is is producing these uh, these set trilogies and signing directors to uh, or signing you know, the 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 uh, the crews and the directors to three picture deals to get. I mean, I think it's awesome. So I'm curious about Exorcist Believer, but one that I'm super super looking forward to that I really love, like, I'm really looking forward to is VHS 85 because I anyone... was going to
1: say that right. my list of movies I was looking forward to was VHS 85
0: VHS 85. Cause well, I am a huge fucking sucker for anthology films. I love anthology films. Plus VHS started the trend of having multiple directors in with, with different writers, all like small crews, all working together to put together a really awesome story. Plus this is 1985. So it's eighties horror. It's eighties horror and it's fucking anthology. I'm seriously looking forward to that. That's uh, I, that's a big one. I'm excited about. Is there any others? Is there one that you, any others you're looking forward to, or any others that you're absolutely dreading that you're not looking forward to? Uh, so I am looking forward to is a haunting in Venice. Oh, it looked like a
1: the art direction, and it looks really, really cool. Set back in the past, and it's like, okay, was that probably where they killed by the dead, or where they came back? And I was like, that's an interesting premise. And, way it's shot and basically just a cinematographer for all oh, really caught my attention so i am looking forward to that i'm kind of looking forward to five night at freddy's because it could be fun right. if it's like if it's like willie's wonderland uh it could be really
0: fun <laughs> <laughs> i i think five at freddy's is going to be pretty good um and you know you just you know like haunting in venice because you know you're all like you know you know, you're, you're, you're just above us. You have like your, your, your taste, you have like the elevated taste. So if you're going to do horror, it's got to be like Kenneth Branagh horror. So it's like, oh yes. Yeah. I'm so sophisticated. Oh so. yes. This is absolutely horror to the highest degree. <laughs> so two that, two that have my attention, but I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm hundred percent sold on them is Pet Cemetery Bloodlines which is a prequel, which is the, we watched the trailer. Well, we watched the teaser for it, but it, uh, here on Week in Horror. But Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, that prequel, that prequel film is coming out. Um, after seeing the latest release trailer, I'm very, very curious about that one because that looks really well done. And this new one, have you heard anything about it called Totally Killer? So I've heard about it, but I have not seen the trailer for it. Ah, okay. Well, we don't, I don't have the trailer uh, here tonight. But for anybody who hasn't checked it out, check out the trailer for uh for Totally Killer. Um, essentially, it's produced by Blumhouse, by Blumhouse's television division, and it's directed by uh Nunchaka Khan. And it's very, very much in the vein of uh or in the vein of happy of Happy Death Day. Only instead of a time loop, it's time travel. So it's about a girl who goes back in time and winds up uh meeting her mother and then going on this like, you know, kind of like adventure because in the present day, her mom uh, is like all traumatized and shit played by Julie played by the amazing Julie Bowen. And she's all traumatized. And everything because when she was a teenager, all of her friends were killed by the serial killer. And so years later, her daughter goes back in time and meets her mother when her mother was in high school back in the eighties. And they, uh, they, and because, because she, she has knowledge from the future. They tried to stop the serial killer from killing all of her friends. So there's an, it's an oddball kind of time travels, you know, slasher film, but knowing Blumhouse, there's going to be some sort of interesting twist or I would say twist, but interesting developments in the script. Because I imagine that they'll play with like the paradox that her mother will change. And it's possible that by saving all of her friends, she may inadvertently wipe herself out of existence because, you know, causality and everything. So I'm kind of curious how they're going to play with that. So I, that one kind of has my attention. And plus it's got and Shipka, who I loved in the, uh, the the New Adventures of Sabrina. So I'm curious about that one. Oh, and someone did mention. I see it. Where was it? Joshua Lee said, JL not excited for the Lovecraft movie coming out later. Madness. No. I am excited about the new one. And that new one is with Heather. I think it has Heather Graham. Um, I believe it's called Suitable Flesh. Suitable Flesh is coming out. And number one, this sounds amazing. So it stars Heather Graham, right? And I don't think you can ever go wrong with Heather Graham. Um, Not to mention also Bruce Davidson and Jonathan Shock and Barbara Crampton. So horror icons we got in there. Directed by Joe Lynch. And it's an adaptation of, I believe, uh, Dreams. uh, Is it as an adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House? No. I may be wrong on that. Correct me if I'm wrong. The adaptation. Oh, sorry. The thing on the doorstep. It is a uh, an adaptation of the thing on the doorstep. So I'm actually really kind of curious about how they're going to go into this because it looks like it's a combination of psychological horror, body horror. So I'm curious about that one, but I don't know a ton about it. I just know that there's a lot of horror royalty kind of attached to it and a lot of talent involved in that. Story.
1: Well, they see that's that's all you need. And so right off the bat, like that's interesting. And I'll definitely watch the trailer after we get done the podcast today. Awesome. Uh, now, right off that that's something interesting plus i love heather graham i haven't seen her do a lot lately uh so it's good for her coming back um when you talked about so when you talked about totally killer i started comparing totally killer to happy death day and what makes happy death day work or the best part of it is tree yes camera. like she is hands down one of the best final girls she may be the best most recent final girl that's come out at least in the last five six years, um, with it. So if they can get characterization at that level, I think totally killer will be just fine. Cool. Um, and and I do I do like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So I'm, yes. I'm definitely looking forward to that.
0: It should be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be interesting. Not to mention I really enjoyed Kiernan in The Blackout's Daughter. I thought she was it was such a departure from the roles that she normally plays. Like she goes like like super dark side in that one, which I really I mean, the girl can go to that degree. I'm just kind of curious because I like how I like how as an actress she's willing to take on roles that challenge her so that she doesn't get kind of like stuck in one particular uh, you know, like one particular uh stereotype. So I like that she's constantly challenging herself. So I'm looking forward to this one cuz it's a little bit more in the kind of, like, dark comedy area, whereas The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina was, I still think, kind of like a young adult, kind of, like, tween version of that. Oh, hands down. Just a little, bit, yeah, just a little bit darker, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like if you took the sitcom and you mixed it with, like, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, minus the still motion, where it's it's like a super fun Halloween town That they go, and they just had a play on every, you know, it's not, it's not like weddings or like a bride, a bride of, a maid of dishonor and a bunch of other kind of twists and stuff like that with it.
0: Yeah. Let's see. So we got some, we got some stuff in the, in the live chat as well. Let's see. Josh Lee said, there's a couple of movies I'm looking forward to. When Evil Lurks looks good. Yeah. Suitable Flesh as well. Just talked about that one. We can, or a plot hole says, it's not that I don't like Blumhouse. I didn't like the new Halloween trilogy. You haven't had much positive to say about Blumhouse stuff. you Some things, but not all things. I'm, a, well, I, you know, I'm, But this is the thing with
1: Blumhouse, and we've talked about it before. What Blumhouse does is they invest. They'll do 10. They'll, instead of doing $100 million film, they'll do 10 $10 million films. Because they That's know crazy. all if four of them hit, it'll cover the cost of everything. So they will throw stuff out there. Blumhouse, Blumhouse has had a lot of misses, and Blumhouse honestly has probably had more misses than hits. But the when Blumhouse hits,
0: oh they hit get
1: out, whiplash, yes. the purge, so forth and so forth.
0: When Blumhouse hits, it really hits. Absolutely. Travis Brown says, I may check out Five Nights because of Shaggy. Hell yeah, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard makes everything great. Absolutely um dr nimrod says uh dog dog forbid you should have a contrary opinion lol that's true yeah he can have a contrary opinion travis Brown says uh nicholas cage it's a new film uh coming out about going into people's dreams i did hear about that one don't know a lot about it i'll look into it um i just pictured a really bad version of inception yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, let me see. Uh, Javier Hara, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Says, "Hey guys, start praying. The power of Gandalf compels you. The power of Gandalf compels you." Or give some surreal drawings to convince Eugene. Yes, <laughs> definitely some surreal storyboards will help. It absolutely will. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Raven Darkstar says, "I watched Werewolf by Night last night. And well, and well, it made no sense for me as a comic fan." Oh, that was the um, that was the new Marvel short that came out. That came out in black and white, and I think they're reissuing. it. They're going to do a re-release, and they're going to put it in color, which I think is a mistake. But I thought where we'll find out was pretty good. Uh, Joshua Lee says, Viejos looks really interesting. That's the one that's the Spanish one about old people that go fucking crazy. Uh, I honestly think because I saw Old, the movie Old, which was a Norwegian film about old people that go crazy. So I think Viejos is in the same vein as that film. So I saw like Viejos was like, oh, that sounds like the Norwegian film that came out in 2022. Or I think, I think it was late 2022 called Old. Um, Robert Bider says, I love time travel, 12 monkeys, although not horror is still in my top five. 12 monkeys was amazing. Anasito Maldonado, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Says hello, everyone. Good to see you, Anasito. Um, let me see. Oh, awesome. Casey Cooper said I just downloaded the complete Lovecraft and the Howard Cthulhu book, uh, Howard Cthulhu book to my kindle Awesome, very cool. Enjoy those. plato I didn't see you make any suggestions. I I I see you said I'm ignoring your suggestions. I don't see you, I don't see any suggestions you made. Where did you make a, a suggestion? Let me see. Uh, plot hole, plot hole. Not uh, which one? Oh, I see. Sally Skellington is here. Good to see you, Sally. Thanks so much for being here. Good thing I scrolled up. Wrote an LS name. Gaba, gabby to you. Oh, yes. Toxic Avenger. Fuck yes. Oh, plot hole says eleven to six. I'm looking forward to that one. That'd be great. Yeah, when it gets done. <laughs> i feel like i'm being mean uh anyway <laughs> but yeah there's a bunch of stuff coming out but i want to point out and i think everybody in the live chat noticed nobody said saw x <laughs> Nope. <laughs> No, uh, nobody said Saw X, So I find that really, really entertaining. No one said Cyax, but, uh, but that's coming out as well. Not to mention we showed, we watched the trailer for it, uh, last week. We watched the trailer for Thanksgiving, which is, looks like, uh, an Eli Roth produced, uh, or e- maybe directed, e- directed by Eli Roth? Yes. Directed by Eli Roth, uh, eh. about a Thanksgiving slasher. So, you know, that's going to be super gory. Not to mention, uh, Dear David is coming out. Dear David is based on that, uh, on like it was like a it was like a Twitter thread that was created by writer um, Adam Ellis because he created a Twitter thread where he's telling a story about um, about a I guess a blogger who encounters a ghost and so that it apparently went viral and now you know that got adapted to it and adapted to a film not to mention Dark Harvest coming out so Dark Harvest directed by David Slade and that's uh, about. Um, a bunch of teens who confront a legendary supernatural monster that emerges in the cornfields of a small Midwestern town every every fall. So you know, teens take on the great pumpkin, essentially what that is. So, but there's a bunch. There's a bunch of stuff coming out this October. So so many choices. So many choices. Oh, let's see. Play A says, Excuse me, sir, you should look at the co-host sitting next to you. Ooh, you can't see me. <laughs> I can't see him. I... Where'd he go?
1: where'd he go it's only a nipple and sometimes it moves
0: <laughs> skid good to see you thanks so much for being here tonight always good to see you in the chat uh case cooper says no one wants to see saw how about teeter oh no one wants to see saw how about teeter totter you're funny yeah i yes that's very big yes very cute very cute oh travis brown says teens take on the uh he who walks behind the rose yes kind of like children of the corn gotcha uh, Dr. Nimrod says, "If by saw X you mean sawing Musk in half really slowly with a blunt saw, then yes, please. Yeah, there's a lot of issues over there on uh, on the new X platform, especially if they start charging. You know, if they do that, that's the, okay. That's an interesting thing. If they if if Musk starts charging for Twitter, like we're we're gonna lose we're effectively uh, we're gonna lose uh, the Daily Splatter on Twitter."
1: Yeah, cause I'm a, not. I'm not gonna yeah. pay for that. No, I'm
0: not paying Musk. To, you know, to, for the you know, to do that. So we will only be on Facebook and Instagram, but we'll lose the Daily Splatter on Twitter if uh, if Musk starts charging for it. He'll be like, nope, cancel that. Well, I guess bummer.
1: his I guess his idea was to like spend forty billion dollars on Twitter and then just destroy it because like why not? Such a child. <laughs> He's Such a like, child. I mean, like seriously, like. I I guess when you have that much money and you can shoot rockets off for fun in space, and you can like nothing, uh, nothing is like basically out of reach for you. Like, is is that just what you do? I don't know.
0: I yeah, I don't know. I guess it's what billionaires do. I I I, yeah, like we have no idea. Yeah, if we were billionaires, we'd be like making movies and shit, but yeah Yeah, that's just us you know
1: just trying to make the world a better place by introducing some
0: new horror that's all we want to do definitely nana is here good to see nana thanks so much for being here tonight um and joshua lee says there's always tumblr (laughs) (laughs) bring back vines. that's what i want to bring back right right (laughs) all right well we have got some horror movies to talk about tonight so Eugene, why don't you kick us off? What do we have up first?
1: All right. First, we have Even Lambs Have Teeth, which was released October 1st, 2015. Roll it. Well now that you just watched even lambs have teeth the entire film uh, <laughs> i'll go into even lambs have teeth was directed by terry miles and it stars christian prout tiara Shovebeev, garrett black james parker michael carl richards patrick gilmore and gwyneth welch welch and basically as you can tell from the The trailer, two girls go to work on an organic farm, run to some strangers, and the strangers traffic them so that they can used as uh, adult slaves the girls escape and wreak their revenge. And I don't even want to say... I I don't want to say it from this movie because it really, like, it doesn't. Like, it... (laughs) It really, it really doesn't because the thing, the problem with this movie is when they're getting their revenge, it was almost as if they were looking for a reason to be serial killers and they finally had it.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, yes. So I can, I can definitely see that there. Okay. So, so, okay. One, it has to be said in this vein of horror, which is often called, uh, which is the, the, uh, the subgenre of rape and revenge, which has a long and tried you know history in the horror genre, going back to things like Last House on the Left, um, I Spit on Your Grave, Straw Dogs. There's a number of them. I mean, so many have been done. To you know, there was uh, what I felt after watching this movie was that there was something fundamentally missing from like from from this particular video. like we're gonna do a we're gonna do an RR film, but. R films are have an essential, I would think, in my opinion, an essential like cinematography or a cinematographic uh aesthetic that is necessary for pushing the the essence of that level of extremity in the characters that you're that you're meeting. So, for example, when you're establishing your protagonist, the protagonists, you know, they're they they're, they're arguably the heroes, and you have individuals that don't exhibit these kinds of horrifying traits, so. In the in the plot, they're pushed to those extremes. There is a particular aesthetic that speaks subconsciously to the audience to reflect the turmoil and the tra- and the trauma and the transformation of the protagonist into the vengeful killer that they become. Movies like Straw Dogs, movies like uh, I Spit on Your Grave, and Last House on the Left, these. Convey these, uh, convey that transition extremely well, because the whole subject it's about the protagonist and what happens, and what happens to them, and then their transition and their transformation. That's what we need to be able to 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 hook, to hook into, so that we can follow them and we can feel justified in the actions that they're doing, because it's all about that kind of like vicarious, just, you know, vicarious justification of violence. We're living through them, imagining what kind of like we can identify what we would do with them. What this film lacked was, number one, that aesthetic. And two, because of what I kind of – I found out it was hard for me to kind of articulate this, but I can only describe it as the film was too clean. That was the issue. Is like as the film progressed, it maintained this cleanliness that I thought was – was that was unrealistic it's, in a way. It came across as like a CW film. Like right. that
1: was the, that was the entire feel of it, and it was like they didn't have really any redeeming qualities that made you care for them, except for when the assault was happening. It's Like, oh, the assault's happening; that's really terrible. We feel bad, and it's like as soon as they escape and they're going through the hardware store, and you have this like upbeat kind of like a girl punk. Like I've used the term punk very loosely, but a girl pop punk music that's right. coming in, and they're like, oh, we're going to get revenge, and they're getting all their supplies and everything like that. And I was just like, and it wasn't when they're going through the kills, it wasn't like a desperation for exactly what happened to them. It exactly. wasn't it like a, we need to rid the world of them because we don't want this to happen to anybody. I never got, even despite the fact that there came across two more girls later on. It, it was like a, well, this happened. We
0: get to kill people and it's okay. That's how, I mean, that's how, that's how I felt. Like that's how the exactly girls like, there's, there's never people. one. One of the things that makes this particular, uh, this particular subgenre sometimes difficult for people to watch is because the narrative, the narrative typically allows the audience to internalize that horrifying trauma and how the only way to deal with that trauma is Other than like self destruction is essentially just the explosive destruction that is wrought around them because the protagonists are being driven by their emotion. But as they're moving, as as is evidence in in the films I named before, and not to mention many many others, as the individuals move, as the protagonist moves from revenge kill to revenge kill, there is a moment of internalization where they are they themselves are internalizing the harm that they're doing, and they have to find the character has to find a way to reconcile that. There is the notion that what you're doing makes you as bad as them. Are you fully justified with what you're doing? And so the protagonist, who has a particular mindset from the, from the beginning of the film, is now forced to look at the world in a different way, and that can cause dissonance. And that's what's very, very important because we too would feel that cognitive dissonance. And that's never portrayed here. These girls literally went from zero to 60 in record time and literally just flip the switch. It's like fantastic. It's, it's almost like the person who's walking around like, I just hope someone takes a swing because that's what I'm waiting for. That's exactly for what that I mean. They,
1: they actually is like, cool. We're killers anyway. Now we have an excuse. Right. And, so, th- and, then uh, they, uh, and they go off. And then on top of that, when you're looking at their dad. The uncle, the uncle following them. Yeah, the uncle following them other than the whole code word thing he didn't do very much
0: most inept fbi agent i've
1: ever seen yeah in yeah That like it was just really the code the code word thing is kind of weird it almost it, the code word felt like a plot device from right. the get-go because who who does that maybe in, uh, outside of like an espionage espionage movie like born identity the way they do something like that that kind of makes sense for that type of mm-hmm. film but hey here's just a code word that you can it just it, it felt weak
0: for, for that kind of stuff i mean we, you you would expect something like that in a movie like taken which exactly. is you know you expect because the film in a movie like taken in an action film like that liam Neeson's character is set up like literally he is like div- like divorced from his wife his he's on the outs with virtually everybody and anybody from like his civilian life really doesn't like him because it's established that he is a like his job made him like ultra paranoid. so he does this like naturally everywhere and the only like respite that character has is with his friends who were also you know in the agency and so they all they all know they, they, you know they're they're on the inside It's kind of like the difference between military and civilians, which I think you can speak to there is a, a an unspoken language there a recognition of certain you know, aspects of the world that they have in common that civilians typically don't. That makes sense in a character like Liam Neeson's in the movie Taken. In uh And I can't remember his, uh, his name off the top of my head, but it'll come to me in a second. But in this one, this FBI agent is is portraying that, but we're never backed up. So he just comes off as a weirdly, unjustifiably paranoid individual who does it. So that makes the trope, that may, turns it into a trope that's just designed to drive the plot. Then you have these girls who never go through any kind of internalization when they're given moments to do so, like when they're driving the truck. When they're mm-hmm. driving the truck and they're listening to their music like this, they're happy as can fucking be. There's yeah. no internalization of the horrors that they're... They're literally road hauling a motherfucker right at that moment. And no, like, it's like, it's all good. Everything's fine. That that was funky. So sarcasm brings up, you need to be able to sympathize with the victims and hate the bad guys. Neither of which happened. Yes, the act of the act of the 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 rape is is horrific, and we can internalize the the horror of that, the horror of like sex trafficking rings and such like that. That these things happen, it's reflective of a reality. But no one was human in this. There were no human victims in this. Portrayed their humanity was never on display, so we are never given the opportunity to sympathize with the victims. And the bad guys were beyond next level dumb. Yeah, like. How stupid can you be? So we've got stupid bad guys that deserve that. I mean, obviously, yeah, we we can say they deserve to die, but they're just stupid to live. It's like, there's no challenge here. The girls literally escape first opportunity they get, and then they decide to turn around, and they wreak bloody havoc, and nobody calls the police on them ever. That's, that's, see, that, that was my thing. Like, I understand the fact that girls knew the sheriff was in
1: on it. Like, the girls right. knew that. So why don't you go to the town over? Or why don't you go to, like state trooper or why don't you why don't you go even to another state and report that what happened and and start some kind of investigation there are so many avenues that they could have gone that they just they just didn't and you're, you're anything is like you're right the movie as a whole is dumb the whole thing with the tennis balls and the nails unless you are a professional pitcher
0: that can throw a
1: ball <laughs> 80 to 90 miles an hour, right? You cannot throw a tennis ball hard enough where it's going to severely, severely, severely fuck somebody up. Will the nails go into the body and make somebody bleed? Absolutely. That's that's totally fine. And it's probably going to sting for a little bit, and then you're just going to keep going like that. That's just that's just the way it is, right? So it's it just it, the movie's dumb as a whole.
0: And overall, overall, I think that it was just like uh, I think that there. It was the thing that 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 kind of dragged the movie down. The biggest thing that hurt it, I in my it was just by looking at it because when you look at when you look at when these these the subgenre was first kind of established, those early films that came out, yeah, from directors like Wes Craven who was willing to push boundaries to that extreme. You have a particular mentality around the around women themselves. And also around men and the kind of like the relation, the, the almost kind of like these kind of like these, I, the ideas of these relationships of like women in this particular place and men in this particular place. At the time of the 70s, of the 60s and the 70s, there was this growing understanding that there should be, that there's a level of equality between them. That the idea that the guy is ostensibly a, like above the woman, the woman is subservient to the, to the man. And the woman should give to the man like should should acquiesce to the man's desires and wants any time and and the whole the whole like 50s concept of like, you know, giving bad signs, you know, like and the whole victim blaming mentality. Directors who were willing to take on the rape and revenge subgenre were challenging that idea in that there is an autonomy, an equal autonomy between men and women and men simply cannot take what they want, and women have the right to defend themselves to an extreme level just like men do. So it, even the playing field. In the 70s, that was a very, very challenging position because that put that was literally asking the question to women, what would you do and how far would you go? Now, that was in the 70s. that That prevailed through the 80s and I would say into the 90s as well. That really didn't change. But there's a difference. What existed, what didn't exist in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s to the degree that it exists now. And I would say, obviously we'd agree, it's the internet. Mm -hmm. And the generationally, we have changed. We have, like, the world has changed as as this new generation has come up. There is a new, there was a disassociation in this film, that in the writing of this film, in the writing of these characters, that I think reflects the generation that came, a generation that came up solely with the internet, where there is, when people are on the internet, there is a natural dissociation with the people that you interact with because they're not people, their voices and their faces on a screen, which has resulted in the vast majority and because the vast majority of our interactions are online with people and not in person, we do jobs online, we shop online you know we 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 meet our friends online you know things like discord oh no and, no, know, no 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 so. no
1: the internet doesn't get the blame no 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 i'm not blaming the internet no
0: i'm not blaming oh, the no, internet no,
1: no, no. No. i know you're talking about with the, the the writers this
0: this movie is just pure lazy writing well I, I'm, with- that's why i'm looking for for why that reason is and it's it's literally the the whole like the whole sub like subgenre of rape and revenge itself has changed because fundamentally the generation that has come up and that has a, has a fundamentally different outlook on the interpersonal relationships in between men and women and extreme action and how people act on each other. So for example, the characters that are written here, the way, the way I view it are written by a person who understands that, that natural dissociation from people who spend more time online than with than in, uh, no, in front of no, other no, people because I lazy writing is lazy writing
1: <laughs> I, I whatever I don't care where they come from or the new generation every year fantastic movies come out that are well written fantastic horror movies come out every True. single year so unless. There's a year that comes out where every single movie is just bad, then maybe it's some external factor. The factor is is that the director and the writer and the producers didn't care.
0: They didn't care. I,
1: didn't care. I, I know you're going about in terms of the genre. No, it's not in terms of they didn't care about the characters, they didn't
0: care about. The putting in a level of effort to making this movie the way it should be. Well, well, yeah, I mean, mean, there's definitely a number of ways it could have been better. Now, the film in the live chat here, I see that the film is getting a lot of praise for cinematography, that it was well shot. It was well lit. My problem with cinematography and just with the photography in itself was because I felt that it was too clean. It's like everything is too clean. The colors are well demarcated. There is no grime. There is no like, you know. The, the 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 purpose of the slow degradation of the cinematography is to convey to the audience in the sub the subtext of the audience of the slow degradation of the of the humanity of the protagonist that as they go down this journey they themselves are slowly degrading and the cinematography reflects that so when people get dirty people get nasty people get screwed up you know when you see. The, the, like the the very world around them begins to, it seems to decay colors are darker Col- you know things are grimier you know that's the whole point of that is that the the world is decaying because the protagonist is decaying in a way and I thought and the, the because that was missing that's why I'm thinking that the the minds behind this maybe are, are aware of it but they were not I don't think that's why I don't think it's lazy writing I think it's writing what you know and that's why I- I'm saying that this approach doesn't like like trying to do this kind of movie doesn't fit narratively what used to be done back in the 70s 80s and early 90s that that generationally mentalities have changed to such a degree that the, the old notions of rape and revenge what made those films compelling simply doesn't come across to this new generation.
1: No, uh, they're not getting a pass on
0: this one, because all, all they are <laughs> I'm not trying to do- save the film. I'm not yeah, trying to save no, the film. I'm that- just saying, I think I understand where they're coming from. No,
1: that's, I see, that's the thing is, I don't understand where they're coming from, because if they wanted to do their homework, then they could have. And the thing is, is like, they didn't. And if you look at Sarcasm's comment, he talks about well-lit, and the characters were in frame, the cinematography only saving grace, and it was just- average. Yeah, yeah, it was, just, it was, it was pretty basic. <laughs> like, it was nothing. There was nothing to home about. But when you what whenever I'm doing homework for a movie and I'm approaching like uh the movie trick that recently won a film festival, I I went back and I looked at I was like I want to I want to mimic the style of um Italian cinema in the 1970s, the abstract cinema. So I went back and I did things like I watched Spieria again fulci dario gento fuck yeah i went and i did my homework and if i'm gonna if i'm gonna make a assault and revenge movie i'm gonna go back and look at the best films in that genre to go okay what can i take from this and then what parts can i make my own and they just didn't
0: they did they did it all yeah they did it it
1: i was like the people who made this movie or people where somebody else is a horror fan and brought something, but they've never seen a <laughs> horror movie in their life.
0: The, they what, the one, the, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Range Rivera says for a second here, I heard the rough startup of the TP 9000. No, <laughs> so I wasn't trying to start it up. I <laughs> probably, did, that's why I want to say I'm not trying to salvage the film. And there is one thing that I cannot fucking forgive this film for. Well, I don't care if it was the director. I don't care if it was the writer. I don't care. Whatever. There is one thing I cannot forgive for this film. This is the tamest fucking R film I have ever seen in my life. Yes. RR films are not supposed to they okay. I'm sorry. By definition, this is what I'm stating as a as, as a person who has done a horror podcast for these years, with my knowledge of horror and my understanding of horror, RR films cannot definitionally be tame. They cannot. They are supposed to be raw. They're supposed to be cruel. They're supposed to be violent. And they're supposed to challenge the notions of a challenge, literally the, the philosophical notion of what morality is about about challenging justifications for extreme levels of violence due to extreme level of violence being done back at you. We you know that whole that that is supposed to make the audience talk. All this does. When when I walked away from this film, even though at the end it had that little kind of like twist, like ooh, they only got some members, the because they revealed that the one dude is like, oh, he's, he's still involved. The you idea know, they didn't actually stop anything. Even with something dumb like that, wasn't a saving grace because I walked away from the film, literally saying, this is what's wrong. Like like this right here is is if this ref, if horror reflects reality, this right here is what's wrong, with like the vast majority of. Of the, like the you know the current generation, I came away more cynical because if this is what these this director and this writer think, or if this is what this writer thinks, this new generation is like, that's not good because you've got you know dumb teenagers who make really dumb decisions, getting in cars and driving off with strangers, going into their homes. Who fucking does that? We know not to do that. That's caution. That's basic cautionary tale shit. Yet they do it anyway, because one of them's super horny and the other one's like, I don't want to disappoint my friend because that whole stupid sequence in the woods at the beginning of the film was supposed to establish their characters. So dumb could have been done so much better and so much more effectively and a bit more nuanced. So we could have a little bit of a bonding between these two girls. And then they go into this and then they're in this situation and they just switch to fucking mass murderers in a heartbeat. And then at the end of the film, once when, when it's all said and done, they just flip back like everything's all good. No trauma, all set, even keel. We'll go about our lives. We're all have they, If If that's what they think people are like, I, I, I'm scared of where they got their inspiration because no, that's no, the, disturbing. So
1: you're still going from the stand, standpoint that they want to be good filmmakers. <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> That's, that's just, that's like saying the butcher represents every horror film in the 2000s. Like, no, 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 no. These particular people who made this film, I don't know what their deal is. I don't know what their problem is, whether, uh, maybe they wanted to make something because they just had money or or just whatever. And a lot of times when you have these films like this, you have one guy who happens to have money. Who's like, I want to be a filmmaker. And yeah. then they just hire a crew, and this is kind of what you get. This product, because the person who made this movie is not a fan of horror.
0: Hands down, they missed the mark so bad. I wouldn't say that they're not a fan of horror. I would say they have a they they lack a fundamental understanding of the genre. That's the problem. That, that's not only the genre, but the subgenres you we know, contained therein. That they it's a fundamental misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of the nuances there and why these things are so important. And why we harp on them so much. That is clearly,
1: clearly they lack a fundamental understanding, but even if you take somebody who is not as invested in horror as we are somebody who's, let's just say they just like to watch horror movies for the sake of watching horror movies. And they're not.
0: He's watching the wrong
1: horror movies. Don't tell you that. (laughs) 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 And so, and that's, that's why I, that's why I think that they're not horror fans not even not even aficionados like us but they're not even horror fans that they're, they're somebody who likes fun hallmark movies and they're like oh let's make a horror let's make a movie we have some money oh ah, horror's cheap let's just make horror and they just, right they just win that they don't understand the genre at any level
0: yeah I w- i came away bummed i came away more cynical and i was just kind of like if this is the understanding, then I'm. Then it's kind of depressing. And if this is what they think the new generation is like, if they're trying to like reflect this as a combination cautionary tale and just like how you know dissociated we are, maybe maybe they didn't attempt to do it. Maybe it was just accidental. Maybe the writer who wrote it and like who was it? who was the mind behind this thing, fucking Terry. My- okay, Terry Miles both wrote and directed this. If Terry Miles thinks that this is this is reflective. Like this is an honest reflection of reality, then there's some sort of like serious disconnect here. Either like it's definitely a disconnect between the genre, it's the subgenre itself. But this is a disconnect with like, you know, like people, because people, I wouldn't say it would be convincing to convey people like this. Now I will give this. There were some decent moments, some some very silly moments, but like the moment when, you know, when she walks into when she when uh when she uh walks into the um fucking church and distracts the preacher guy when she walks through the church tracks and it was like and he's like ah oh, you know jesus on my side i'm going to get you and i'm like you do realize that there's two of them you stupid fuck because it was like it's like and the minute she clocked him on it it was like he's like i'm gonna get you. she's like you know because i've got jesus she's like i have a bff and then thunk and i was like haha clever girl because <laughs> you know the the attack came from the one you never suck up <laughs> and i was like that i was it there were some some inspired moments I will say this: as long as they, as long as they were road hauling that motherfucker, there would not have been that much left of him. As long as long and as fast as they were road hauling him, there would not have been enough left of him to to burn alive. He just would have been chunks if they you know if they had done that. Um, but oh yeah, a, and
1: not not to mention someone mentioned in the comments it's like mm. you're gonna drive, you're gonna drag a body
0: through Main Street, through Main Street all the
1: way to the house, and no one said anything. No, one, dude, dude, if Nothing. you
0: watch, if, if if you watch closely, there's this when they're driving, they're like in one of those shots. There's a car right like behind them, like driving behind them. Like you can see a vehicle. Like it was like, wait a minute, there's. There's a vehicle behind them. Oh, oh, oh okay. So, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, so they're just driving through town and nobody's paying attention. But no, once you realize they stop at the, the bait shop and they're road hauling someone, because then they turn around and they walk out in the parking lot and burn them alive. Wait a minute. They were road hauling him. There was a car behind them. Nobody called that in. Are you like nuts? It was like, I, at that moment, I was like, these girls don't give a fuck if they get caught, they don't give a shit. You know, at this point, they're like, you know, if if somebody catches them, they're going away for a long time. They don't give it. It was just so completely dissociated from reality, you know, not just extreme reality, but just like in and of itself, just nonsensical didn't make any sense. Like plot holes all over the place. You know, no offense, plot hole out there. No offense, Johnny. But uh, but yeah, it was deeply, deeply problematic. There are so many better ones out there that actually say something about humanity and morality and actually challenge people's views. This one did not at all. It
1: it, it does. It's like, what other stuff has he done? And I mean, his average rating on films out of 10 is like five, 5.2, 5.2, 4.9. He did Lonesome Duff Church, uh, Dawn Rider, Recoil. Like there's,
0: he's just not a good filmmaker. Rodan no L.S. Name does bring up, there wasn't enough grape in my great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, even that, I mean, that's, it's supposed to be horrific. There was something very, very, something un, and this is so fucked up. This sounds so fucking twisted because it's an R&R film. And Rodan no L.S. Name brings, you know, wrote it, brings up a valid point. Even those sequences were so sanitized that I, that I couldn't connect to them. Because, you know, we get a few, like, kind of, like, reactions and stuff. It's kind of, like, the girls' reactions. Oh, I'm scared and everything. And I get that. But there's, like, the stakes. How can the stakes be? If you're conveying this, sex traffickers have you. They're bringing people in to do this, to to, to victimize these girls. How can you sanitize that? How can you possibly portray that in a clean way? It was, like, convey these things. They're supposed to be horrific. They're supposed to drive us to connect. And it's not there. And it was like, "Really, really?" I was like, "Yes, uh, yeah." There's so many, so many more that do it better. So many more out there that do it better and are far fucking scarier.
1: Yeah. Let's. Okay. Okay. We've talked about this piece of trash enough. <laughs> I want to ask the audience: What do you feel is the most terrifying R and R horror film? The most
0: terrifying.
1: Most terrifying. R and R assault and revenge uh horror films. We already mentioned a couple, like I Spit on Your Grave and Last House on the Left. there's a quite a few I Spit on Your Graves. Uh, yeah, so and the off. remakes and everything. Yeah. And there then there are others out there. There's some there are some great uh revenge horror films out there. Uh but yeah, what is the most terrifying one to you? And oh. right off the bat, we're getting uh, I spit on your grave. I spit on your grave. Last half on the left, and specifically yeah. OG seventy three one, which I have to agree.
0: Oh yeah, the old school stuff. Yeah, was like they, those really push boundaries, yeah. which was like, which was make, make, makes them so important. And then you got movies like Revenge, which was, I think Revenge did it really, really well. Um, even though that wasn't really like it, like like an R and R. That was really much more of a revenge film, but it's about these guys who like attack this girl, and she winds up like. They, they think they killed her, but they didn't. And then she comes back, and that, that was actually – because the action sequences and the violence in that were pretty extreme. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, Avenged was a good one. Straw Dogs I thought was quite good. There was and, that
1: one uh, – was it No One Lives? That was no a one, good one.
0: No One Lives is an interesting one, even though not in R&R. But yeah, no not an R&R, but definitely yeah. Revenge. Yeah. So there's a number. Um, uh, Irreversible was a fantastic one with, with Monica Bellucci. Irreversible is really fucking intense, like really extreme shit. So these the subgenre is is rough. It can be very, very hard. Um, but that's the point. That's why I I appreciate the subgenre, the existence of the subgenre, because it's meant to challenge. Horror is meant to challenge. And the, the you know, films like Even Lambs Have Teeth don't. When you when you literally use your teeth to rip out a human being's throat, you know. You do it like Walking Dead did it when Rick did it to that motherfucker. You do it like that. You don't do it all sanitized where you can't see shit in this film. You know, it's fucking ridiculous. Just yeah. totally, totally shied away from the whole point. Hey, definitely. And I, yeah. And, oh, listen, oh.
1: And, and listen, Jeremy, anytime you have a guy who hides inside another guy <laughs> so that he can sneak in, is going to be a badass
0: move. I'll yes. always
1: vote for a body inside another body.
0: Luke Evans was fucking fucking hard. That was fucking brilliant. Okay, so I do have to give out a giant thank you. A huge thank you to NANA for gifting five memberships to the Army of the Dead, as well as Sarcasm for gifting another six memberships to the Army of the Dead. Thank you all so much. Welcome, all the new members. I hope you enjoy the emojis that I made for you. So thank you very much for those generous contributions. Uh, Sarcasm and NANA, you guys rock. Yes,
1: thank you so much. We greatly appreciate that.
0: Great. And, uh, and a, a quick hello to Extra J and uh, Donnie Does That, who popped into the chat. Good to see you. Jeremy Duncan as well. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate uh, you guys hanging out. And uh, make sure I didn't miss anybody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Raven Darkstar, Jodie Foster, The Accused, movies like that. Yep. Yes. Or uh, um, what was that? There was one with Sally Field, Sally Field and Keeper Sutherland. You know where th- that, that that didn't go hardcore into the, into the into the into the into the into the assault version, but it went really hardcore into the the moral questioning, which is really important. So that was another good one. Um, yeah, because there think are a was couple eye for an eye. I think it was eye for an eye. Because there that, are a couple that,
1: that deal more with like the abuse side, and then they end up getting revenge on
0: like their partner. Oh, like sleeping with the enemy. Yeah, Sleep like sleeping with the enemy, enemy with yeah. uh, Julia Roberts. Yeah. Yes. So many good ones. And I uh, you know, and uh rubber? Really? The fucking the fucking tire? <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Oh yeah. All right. So let's talk about her now. Oh, definitely let us know down in the comments below what you think is the most terrifying RR horror film. Because there are a bunch out there way better than even lambs have teeth. You know, God, I wish Ooh, Hard Candy with Elliot Page. Yes, Hard Candy was pretty intense. Oh, uh, with her you know, uh him and Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson fucking woo! i you know because you see him in like it's always weird to see patrick wilson do like you know play a bad guy because you see him in like you know the conjuring films you see him and you know he was uh he was owl man and watchman he's playing good guys he plays good guys so well but when you see him play a bad guy like in in the tall grass or in hard candy it's always so creepy because it's just it's such a shift P- play against the it. norms yeah play play against type always yep. always a good always a good choice to play against type all right Let's, uh, what did Sir Cav say? Oh, (laughs) Uh, let me see here. Well, our next film, let's jump into our next film. We have got Possessor, which released October 2nd, 2020. So it's a fairly recent one. Uh, Let's check out this trailer Fire Up the Terror Tube. All right, so that was the trailer for Possessor, which was a psychological horror film that came out, uh, like I said, October second, twenty twenty, written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, son of the legendary. Uh, oh my god, how did I forget? What the fuck, son of? I, I've lost my mind. David Cronenberg. How, how did I fucking drop <laughs> that ball? I was gonna. I was just gonna wait. <laughs> you suck you could have just said something <laughs> son of the legendary uh in this david, Al, on that moment son of the legendary david Cronenberg and starring andrea riceborough who people may remember from mandy christopher abbott Rusty sutherland tuppence middleton the effervescent scene bean or sean Bon or sean bean however you want to pronounce it and of course uh the lovely jennifer jason lee the film follows an assassin um kind of like in an alternate future where uh Tasha voss who plays an assassin who takes control of other people's bodies in order to perform hits on their on the I guess the company's targets, and so she's able to body jump into people in order to create more I would say like you know acceptable narratives in committing these assassinations, and unfortunately in her latest one, the person she jumps into is at a point able to fight back and retake control, so she winds up stuck in their body and then begins a battle for of wills between uh the between the individual between the the victim and the jumper between the assassin and the uh and the victim as they vie for control of the body and she tries to get out and survive the scenario so something something is really really interesting um jeremy duncan brings up this looks more like a drama than anything so and uh sarcasm brings up gnarly special effects this one i'm gonna go rogue and say that i really liked it slow burn worth it yes the horror in possessor is not so much what's happening directly, like like what's happening in the physical world. Her interactions with the world, or the murder, or the vi- the the extreme violence of the uh, the kills that she's committing, like when she uh, when she you know does what she does to uh, to uh, Sean, uh, Sean Bean's character, or the first kill when she stabs the dude to death. Um, what the the real horror, in this the psychological horror in the in the aspect here, is the examination of human identity. Whereas I would say David, hit where Brandon's father, David, focused more on the body as the external, the body as both like the external uh, expression of self and, of course, the enemy of self. Brandon goes a little bit more inward and more introspectively as in the identity is the expression of the self and, of course, how that could be turned into an enemy against you. And so the battle of wills between the two characters, and how that is surrealistically portrayed as one identity overtakes the other identity, and then one buys back control for the other one, and the disassociation that it's causing in Andrea Riceway in the character of Tasha's—of uh, that's where the horror lies in both the visual aspect and, of course, internalizing what it's like to slowly but surely lose aspects of yourself. The longer you're, the longer this character is doing this, like as it's slowly being, you know, kind of taken away from you. But the fact that she's willingly allowing this to happen because she's really starting to enjoy what she does and things like, you know, her child and her husband are kind of like getting in the way. So that's the kind of horrific aspect, which I really dug. And I will agree. The film's a bit of a slow burn, but it is magnificently shot. I, one thing I'll say, and I, and I hope you picked up on this, Eugene. All the all the interstitial shots. OK, mm-hmm. we're all spirals. They were spiraling, okay. What I thought was br- what I thought was really, really brilliant. What Brandon decided to do was every time we do it, we we have a, like a like a transitional sequence where we're moving from one scene to the next. There were shots of the city and or shots of like a building, and all the shots were slowly spiraling and getting closer. So it was spiraling inward, and you could see in the architecture of everything they're showing, you could see reflections of the golden ratio in there. So what I think, what I interpret that as, what Brandon was trying to convey in that is that even in the spiral, spiral, because Andrea Riceboro's character herself is spiraling. In fact, if you look at it, all of the characters are spiraling in a way. So like even the son is spiraling under the, the, uh, the crushing influence of his girlfriend, of his fiance's father. You know, he's spiraling. And then, of course, the uh, uh, the girlfriend is spiraling. Andrea Riceboro's character is spiraling, obviously, because of the, you know, torn between the love of the, the work that she does and her family, which is kind of like holding, you know, like kind of like gripping her humanity. Even Jennifer Jason Lee even Gerder, is spiraling herself because she's getting older and she's got this epic, you know, this this, this amazing talent, this, uh, this asset that's in her hands, and she can't lose her because we get this feeling that, As good as her position is, things are very tenuous, that she could lose that position at any time. So everybody's fighting for control when everybody is spiraling their own way. And Brandon chooses particular angles uh, uh, as a part of that spiral to convey the golden spiral, the golden ratio in that, because I think Brandon is conveying that even spiraling into madness or spiraling out of control has a kind of horrific symmetry or a beautifully horrific symmetry to it. And I thought that was a brilliant way to convey that the closer and closer we get within that spiral, the deeper, deeper we're getting and the worse off we're getting as these characters spiral closer and closer to out of control, just barely hanging on, which I thought was absolutely fucking brilliant in the way he did that because it shows a level of artistic expression that I think David, his father David, really never got to like a subtle expression of a uh, subtle artistic expression whereas his father was more about the extreme nature like video and the fly and you know and rabbit and shit like that that's all like extreme in your face this one was very very cerebral so it may turn some people off but i was wondering uh i thought it was brilliant
1: ah uh, so i thought it was okay um i did pick up on the spiral aspect of it there were some things with the cinematography that was cool, and some that I didn't like. Um, a lot of the internalizing struggles uses a lot of like kind of weird filters, or or, the, or even stuff that was done in like post production.
0: A lot of and, like, there a lot of the oversaturation sequences. Where yeah, everything it, is just kind of like yeah, okay, yeah. Where everything's, yeah.
1: Kind of like, uh, where everything's kind of like where everything's kind of like this waviness to it and. Like I said, I, I'm not quite sure if it was a, either a filter they ran on the camera or maybe just something they added in post-production. I've never been a fan of those. That's why, I, like, there's a lot of uh, American horror Story that I'm not a fan of because, it's like, uh. where it's, like, half of it's filtered and half of it's not for the sake of being weird. It doesn't really, like, it doesn't really say anything. So, like, I like the spiral aspect, but then there's, like, some moments that I didn't like. Um, I do, I did notice how it does mix... Almost a little bit of a callback to the '80s, because when she's going into his body, if you notice, like when her face is like liquefying, yeah, and then, like, yeah, coming the mask. I the, was like
0: the, the mask scene. Oh, 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 the yeah. opening scene when they're switching when they're when their their identities are switching. Yes, yeah, and I was kind of like, I feel like that's a nod to the '80s. Like, I, I kinda, oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. That was the, I. I took it as as a nod to his father. It's kind of yeah, like, exactly. you like? Because it's because it's all practical it was just brilliantly practical i mean those like the the, the reverse melting of the wax figures that was absolutely stunning i thought it was so well done
1: yeah like that, so it was stuff like that that was like really cool that i really picked up on um in terms of the story as a whole it didn't it didn't grab me as much as i hoped it would um i it, it it's one of those films where it wasn't it wasn't bad. And this film is far, far better than uh far, far better than I have to look up the name, even Lambs Have Teeth. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah we just talked about. <laughs> so the movie's far better than that. But oh, yeah. I just I wish I could get into it just a little bit more. It's not it's a good film, but it's not like one of those where I want to go back and reference it all the time.
0: Uh, i would agree i would agree i like this one i mean pretty much if you're a fan of andrea Riceboro, or if you if you want to follow up with with brandon Cronenberg as his career progresses this is definitely one you want to catch um brandon has definitely established himself as a director uh who is in the same vein as his father, but a de- definitely a different aesthetic. So he's not trying to copy what his dad does. He's got his own level of expression, which you can see in his previous films, um, antisocial. And uh, the, his first film was antisocial. This was his second. And his third one was, uh, was um, Infinity Pool. So you see how he's developing aesthetic, especially between Possessor and Infinity Pool. I think he has a re- really, really good eye and he's going in a different direction than his dad, but he, he himself also loves the body horror and i love the mask sequence in this one as one character is vying for the for control as the as, as the the victim as the uh that character is vying for control from voss that ostensibly taking her face and wearing that to portray that out into the world and how the two of them are blending blending almost blended together but not really and how the two identities are kind of merging in that respect i love how we conveyed that i will say that some areas of it we're a little too oversaturated with color. And I know he's trying to convey that because in the in the realm of the mind, things are not going to be um, like like cut and dry and clean. There, there's going to be a level of surreality, to, of, of surreality to that. And I know he trying to convey that. And I think sometimes it, the details were important. Some of the details were important because we kind of got lost having to look at almost like outlines or shadows to try and discern what was going on. But overall, I thought it was a, a strong effort. And I thought it was a great reflection of also very okay very similar okay other than even lambs have teeth this is this film is also an examination i think in a way of disso- of disassociation where we see her identity crumbling and spiraling away as the more times she jumps the more times she jumps into bodies it's almost like every time she comes back she leaves pieces of herself behind and so her her tenuous her, her tenuous connections to the things that ground her humanity which are slowly being stripped away, which is something we can see that Jennifer, that Girder, that the character Gerder wants to happen, because it'll make her a more effective and more efficient killer. And so she's torn between these two things, uh, between Gerder and her family, trying to vie for like the control. It's uh, the film is all about control. It's all about the control itself, which is why the suicide, which is why suicide is such a prevalent thing. And which is why typically when a person when they're leaving the job is done, they end on a suicide because. It's all about re- regaining, reestablishing control of oneself. And Gerda's vying for control of Voss. Voss is vying for control of herself and for control of the person that she's jumped into. The individual typically suicide is is as an expression of regaining control, the last ditch effort for someone to control themselves, to take control of their life by ending it. And that's conveyed there as well. So it's all about it's all about control and all about how as tight as I think the allegory there or the metaphor there is, oftentimes. We, we struggle so hard to control things and to hold on to them, we end up losing them, which is what's being conveyed in this story here. Which is kind of like, I would say it's kind of like the allegory of the film. Is that Sometimes you hold on to things so tightly that you wind up losing them, you know, trying to do that. And so I thought it was a, a gorgeously done film that had a couple of missteps here and there, but nothing that I would yeah. say detracts from it. Uh, a solid effort, as far as like a sophomore effort from, uh, from a burgeoning director. And of course, with Infinity Pool, he blew the world, he blew it out of the water the difference is is that and one thing i wanted to bring up which struck me is that i felt that possessor would have hit a little different maybe 10 years ago so not in yeah. 20 not in 2020 but 2010 this film would have hit differently in 2010 i think or maybe even tw- maybe even like 20 like 2005 because now we're in a post black mirror world So in a world, so in this post Black Mirror world, where we are seeing the kind of cautionary tales of the of the of as we get essentially with Black Mirror, uh, with Black Mirror, we're examining how close we get to the singularity, the idea that technology and humanity is coming together in such a way that it's blurring the lines between the two and blurring the lines of what it means to be human. And so when we're looking at how technology could be utilized for dark ends or can be you know or can be misused if someone's you know because human emotion is so unpredictable that in a post black mirror world this film hits a little different in a pre-black mirror world i think this would hit really really differently but now we're used to this to this kind of level weird sci-fi technology is becoming more and more actual like it's like it's not like it's not like we're looking at wow this would be totally impossible this is so it's not like watching star trek you know and then like four decades later now or like you know like 40 years later we have cell phones everywhere no this is like in Black Mirror when we examine these. So there's a different kind of mentality. So I think this one hits a little different nowadays because it's not so extreme. So I think maybe a little early it would have been stronger. It would have hit a little bit see, different. I And
1: I agree for because of the content out there because the big influx we're seeing in content right now is genre films. And what a mm. genre film is, is a film that is specifically designed to go on streaming under a certain genre, and it just hits the check marks. And that's exactly what it is. It's like, okay, uh, we're going to do this one film. We're going to release on Netflix. Check, check, check. Uh, Genre films to me are films like The Adam Project. All right, we need action. We need a quick character, Ryan Reynolds. All right, we need some action, blah, 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 blah. And you watch the film, and genre films can be good and they can be enjoyable. But what ends up happening is that they're forgettable because gotcha. they just check down this list, and then once they finish all the, and you're like, I enjoyed that, and then it's just out of your mind. There's no, there's no risk taking. There's no, uh, there's no part that stays. And I'm not saying that this film is a genre film. What I'm saying is that. Because you have this overflux of genre films, and this film is shot a lot like a lot of these genre films, it's very – a lot of genre stuff. But mm. am, am I am
0: I still roboting? Yeah, I think you, we, we might, might have broken up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Am I back now? Oh, I, I think you're good now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think this film would have done better
1: 10 years ago because people are still going to the theaters and doing less streaming content. Versus I think a lot of people today will look at this and go, oh, well, this is going to be the same as a uh, gray matter or so forth and so forth as a genre film and lump it into a genre, unfortunately.
0: Gotcha. Fascinating. Interesting. Well, I definitely feel this one may put some people off. Um, as Sarcasm pointed out, it is a bit of a slow burn and especially, you know, through the second act, it kind of like well, actually say through the first act is pretty slow. It's a pretty slow burn as we're establishing the characters. And there's not a lot, it, the energy is very subdued and it's not until about midway through the second act where it really starts picking up when we get in the middle of the mission and the you know, things start to go awry. So it may put some people off net, but if you can get through that and you really dig Brandon Cronenberg's art style, you could definitely, I would say this definitely should go on the list. Um, but my question for the audience is given that Brandon is a, re- is a relatively new director. He said he's only had three films. But each one, I think, has conveyed his particular art style as he's gotten better. Very similar to when we talked about we talked last week about Joe Bagos and the movie Bliss that he that Bliss that he put out. How his how his particular style has developed and evolved over like you know movies like with Joe Bagos it was it was like Bliss and then v, and Bliss and then VFW and then Christmas Bloody Christmas. With this one, we've got Antisocial Possessor and then Infinity Pool. So my question is. Of the movies that Brandon has made so far, what do you think has been his best effort? Antisocial, Possessor, or Infinity Pool? Definitely let us know down in the comments below or weakenhorror at gmail.com, of course here in the live chat. Uh, what do you think has been Brandon Cronenberg's best effort so far? Because I'm definitely looking forward to his next one. Definitely let us know. All right. So what do we have up next, good sir? We're gonna do We have a big <laughs> these are these are some big shifts. We're like kind of like all over the place genre genre wise this week. All right. Oh, come on. It's not that that bad. The fact you have to say
1: not that bad.
0: Because it's not that bad.
1: Eh. Eh. (laughs) Next up, we have Cult of Chucky, which was released October 3rd, 2017. Roll it. All right. That was Chucky, directed by Don Mancini, starring Fiona Dorev. Michael Taryn Holt, Adam Herding, Alex Vincent, Jennifer Tilly, and, of course, Brad Duroff. And basically the plot is, is that you have you have Fiona Dorif, who is now in a, a sane asylum. And basically Chucky comes back to settle the score with a little bit of help from uh, his wife. And then also we get Andy, who also comes and plays a part in it, too. And I'll say shit gets real in this one. I'll say it because we do have oh, some yeah. gnarly kills. And definitely gnarly kills. So you have, so other aside from the kills, I, honestly, a lot of it was like a, uh eh, I like the fact that it went back more into the horror route because we moved mm-hmm. away from, like, say Bride of Chucky or uh, Seed of Chucky is probably still the worst one out of, <laughs> I'll never get the CGI uh, title sequence out of my head for that one. But I don't know this one. It's okay. I'll say it's okay at. I'll say it's okay at best. Um, and kind of it felt a little bit lower budget uh, than I would. I would have liked to see um, the twist of. There's multiple Chucky. Spoiler alert. There's multiple Chucky's. I was kind of like, eh. I, it felt like they tried. To, they just needed to add some more. So they're kind of like, here's more and more there um but
0: overall eh, it was it was okay so okay so here was the big issue so yeah i I do agree said so the some of the kills were extremely gnarly in this one and it was interesting to it was it was nice to see um the the shift that was made from seed of chucky to uh curse of chucky which is the film that precedes this one because this one starts off uh fiona durif's uh fiona durif's character um Uh, her Nika is currently in an insane asylum after the events of, of curse of Chucky. When the doll, when, uh, when Chucky winds up in the hands of this girl who's in a wheelchair and essentially, you know, shit goes wild, but that's all centered, centered in her home, like in the, in the home that she lives in. And so this one is continued on after those murders, she's now in in, in, an insane asylum. And then Chucky shows up. I liked that. It maintained the, the shift. Because there was a big tonal shift in between Seed of Chucky and, of course, uh, Curse of Chucky and then Cult of Chucky. And that was a return to the hard R style, the, the hard violence that you know this kicked off the genre. in The original Child's Play, Child's Play 2. Child's Play 2 being the best, in my personal opinion. Um, the one thing I dug, I, I dig that. And I dug that the practical effects of all the kills were really, really fantastic. And the interesting twist that... Uh, Chucky has been able to figure out how to basically partition out his soul, like to put fragments of himself into other good guy dolls. So kind of like this, like a like a fucking lich or a lick. You know, he's able to like phylactery himself out. So if you like kill the original, the other ones are still alive. So it's like it makes him even harder to kill. Um, I dug where they were going with it, what they were setting up. The problem overall that I see is. You have fantastic acting. You know, Fiona Dourif's on point. Jennifer Tilly's fantastic. Brad Dourif always delivers 100% with Chucky. I see all the Chucky emojis that are coming up in the live chat as well. Um, Everybody's fantastic in this. And the story makes sense and it follows along. My issue with this one is that is, is what's been plaguing the Child's Play franchise since the very beginning. Despite this one being a good kind of like romp, a good popcorn flick, a good popcorn slasher with a lot of gore and a lot of nastiness. My question was, how often can we do this? That was the big takeaway I had in this one. Brad Dourif makes the character indelible. Now, that's what makes him a horror icon, is Brad Dourif's voice acting as the character itself. The problem is, is that Child's Play started off 1988. You know, that was the first Child's Play came out. 19, oh, 1988 or 89 is one of the two. I think it was 88. Same year that Friday the 13th Part 8 came out. Okay, 88 was a big year for horror films, like a big year for franchise horror films. Child's Play comes out, and then it's followed up by Child's Play Two, which was fucking phenomenal. Child's Play Three, little bit of a dip. The things just started kind of falling because how far can you go in adding elements to this and maintaining a hard R? It's literally just you know, Chucky has chased Andy for three films, three films straight. We think he dies, and then, so three was just a kind of a, just a rehash. That's why there was so much time in between three. And Bride of Chucky, so the franchise was reinvented with Bride of Chucky to, to bring in more camp, very similar to what happened, like with you know, with Evil Dead, with any other uh, franchise, especially with Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street, it was about part, f- it was about four where they started to take a swing into camp, and they went hard camp by six. By six, there was a lot of camp, and so then that's when the character became equally as as bad, equally as violent and you know and gross as he was campy with all the the, the one liners and shit. So Chucky did that as well. Child's Play franchise did that as well. Bride of Chucky not so bad. It was good self-referential humor. It came around, you know, it came out as like in a post Scream universe. So everybody was kind of like, ah, oh, meta humor. It's all great. Then they try to double down on that with Seed of Chucky and completely fall fell flat. Then we see another break. There's another kind of like lull. Then all of a sudden, Cult of Chucky comes back. The franchise is reinvented again to go back to the hard R with a little bit of camp in there just to keep things light. Not to mention bringing in Fiona Dourif, who's Brad Dourif's daughter. And I thought it was really, really good. That was a strong return to form. Really good. Like, let's go back to the classic evil doll in the house. Very trilogy of terror shit, you know? Like, you know, it brought back memories like Karen Black, Can't Escape the Apartment. You know, the fucking Zuni, uh, the Zuni doll that's chasing her around the place. I got that. I, I enjoyed that, okay? But then mm-hmm. this is another rehash. Now we're at the point where we can't even get two films in and we're already dropping the ball, which is why there wasn't a third film after this. Now we have the series on sci-fi, which unfortunately the first season was fantastic, but now the second season kind of dips. We're seeing this repetition that I don't, that I personally as a horror fan, as a fan of Brad Dourif's work on this franchise, we're seeing a repetition that I'm not liking. That it's almost like it's, trying to do the same thing the over and over again. Returns. Oh yeah, agreed, agreed. And but you know, do you think at this point they'd be aware of it? Eighty-eight. How many is it like over thirty years? Oh uh, yeah. And we're doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting different results. We now we know the franchise can't go into camp. It can't go into hard camp again because people are burned out after Seed of Chucky. We can't go straight back horror because we already did that with Curse. So my question is, can this front? What all this movie did when I was watching was make me realize despite how good the, the puppetry was, the animatronics were fantastic. how Brad dwarf was on always on point. everything works. but the problem is it's the energy of that franchise. It's almost like the, the tank is running empty way faster than it should be. Can this thing even last? And because
1: when Charles play first came out, it was it plays on fear and it was something that we haven't really seen before. The problem with Chucky, and this is the fundamental problem with Chucky, is, and this is why he's never been super scary to me. If I see him coming, I can punt him. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I can. And so, which means he has to go and he has to sneak up on people, and he finds other creative ways, and that's how he's able to kill people. Um, But because, because of that, it's not like Jason that can just overtake you. Or Michael Myers that can overtake you or some kind of supernatural being that can drag you somewhere or control. Yeah, something something that's yeah. just Jason, you can always put Jason in a house and then he can just ravage through like college kids and he can just keep having creative ways of, cu- of killing people, whereas with Chucky, you don't have that option. You start getting... Some creative kills like the uh shattering of the glass overhead that decapitates <laughs> her and stuff like that now. It's pretty right. Cool. But the best kill in the movie, is a stiletto kill by Fiona Dorff. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Not even Chucky. Chucky doesn't even have the best kill in this movie. So that takes away a little bit of it. And because we've already gone hard R, then we've gone camp camp slash parody itself then it went back to hard up there's nowhere else for the genre to go except for in space that's the last thing we're missing is space they try to reboot the one of Arby plaza which was we've already talked about it on the podcast it was terrible right it was just just hands down just terrible and i'm just at a point burned out like i've seen
0: everything that chucky can do Like that really can't go any further than this. I mean, I agree with that. It's like, I don't know where, where else it can go. Um, Oh, sarcasm says write up a treatment. I have seen your work and I know you can make a better reboot. Um, I I think I could definitely do a better reboot than the one that we got. Uh despite the efforts of Mark Hamill, who who could you know the amazing Mark Hamill who could not save that movie. That fucking reboot was terrible. That was what you know. Megan is what that film should have been. You know that Megan works better than than trying to do Child's Play with that. I thought you know the Child's Play reboot was awful. Um, I think I honestly I honestly agree. I I don't think the franchise is anywhere to go. I think we've seen all that can really happen once we once we broke. Once they broke the ground, once uh, Mancini, once Don Mancini broke the ground of uh, the whole partitioning of souls out, I think, in my eyes, I think the the, the franchise kind of jumped the shark on that one. Now, it's kind of like, it always seemed like it was on the verge of getting out of control, <clears throat> which is what the problem with what Child's Play 3 was, that it was getting out of control there. And then you have Seed uh, uh, of Chucky was on the verge of, of getting out of control, which is why the, you know, the, there was the kind of lull there. And then, of course with this one, with child, with, uh, with Kurt, with uh, cult of Chucky. It's, uh, it seems the, the, the franchise is always on the verge of like, literally, I would say on the verge of about to go to space. That's because when, when it was, when it goes to space, that's, that's when it, that's when it's over. So that's when it ostensibly it's kind of died. And it's, we've always been like, we want to take it to that point where we're like, ah, and then no, we pull back. And it was like, no, no, we don't want to go to space just yet. So I don't, well, it, as enjoyable as the film is as enjoyable as a popcorn flick and anybody who's a big fan of chuck of chucky sure you may have something here some some really solid kills and bringing andy back is really energy is like they brought the original actor back he's and he's torturing the original you know chucky head you know the fact that that's that sequence where they share a joint i thought was fucking hilarious i laughed my ass off And he's like he's like he was like sure i'll give you a hit like that Well, he's fucking like torturing this fucking doll head in his house the fact that his sister his uh his adopted sister shows up at the very end. Uh, Kyle from Child's Play 2 shows up. I thought, I see, okay, I see what they're doing. They're kind of like bringing the whole thing full circle. Uh, but oh, uh, even that, I don't feel could really save it. You know? I, I, that's
1: why when you started seeing multiple Chuckies
0: and, right. oh, I can create more, it felt gimmicky. The, I was like, the, 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 word, the worst part was that when the three of them are like doing a larium, larium or doing like a Three Stooges amongst each other. That, that is where I was like, re- re- this is where we're going is like, you know, I'm making fun of your hair and you know, we're arguing about who to kill and how to kill them. And it's like, it's like, really? Like, like three Chuckies arguing three Stooges style that that's, that's where we've ended up. And it just was like, ah, uh, it, 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 it just really took it, took it out of me. I was kind of like, hmm. That was, that was, that was a bit cringy in my, in my taste, uh, for my taste, that was a bit cringy.
1: It it was, it was, it was cringy. That's why it just felt cheap at that moment. You're like, uh, cause it's like, okay, you're trying to go back into the hard R and the scary realm again to a degree. And then you have that moment where they're arguing you're like, well, any kind of atmosphere or scare factor that you're trying for is just gone right at that point just straight up just gone um and it just they had nowhere else to go and now chucking from possessed people and just i yeah i just ultimately if ultimately the, i feel like the
0: the ip has fell, fallen apart i would agree i would agree yeah. despite the fact that brad did brad Dourif's, uh, incredible work as the character bringing him to life and that one thing that's always been important to Mancini and is, I think is important to the audience as well. Understanding that if the doll doesn't look good, if the doll doesn't function right, then it immediately takes people out of the movie. And so uh, all the careful attention over the past 30, 30 plus years that have been paid to making sure the doll fucking works and looks solid. As far as like a horror film goes, that's always been like an amazing mainstay is that the, the, the animatronics, the puppetry of the Child's Play films has always been on point. It always looks good. It never, I never get, I've never once watched a Child's Play film and been like, okay, wait, sorry. Aside from Seed of Chucky, because <laughs> because the Tina doll that looked goofy as shit, but the every time I've seen I've seen the uh, with the with the Chucky doll with with the uh, Charles Lee Ray doll with that with that one is always looked fantastic even when he was all beat up and he was like all sewn together and shit and all goofy that was always good and and even in these films it looks fantastic but you can only rest your laurels on brad duras performance and really solid puppetry for so long and i think a lot of people are pointing out in the live chat a number of people pointed out that it was salt it was solid acting with really poor writing i don't know if mancini Knows really where to go, especially after season two of Child, especially after the, the second season on Sci-Fi. I have no idea where uh, he's going to go with this, or even if even if there is a place to go with this. So I think you're right with the diminishing returns. As much as I'd love it to continue on, I don't think the franchise has anywhere else to go. I I can't picture like what a
1: next step would be because, like I was talking about earlier, if you take somebody like Pinhead. You can always do something with Penhead, right? You can always have some kind of new power. You can always have some kind of supernatural force, or as a, people use the uh, the cube for so many different reasons. You can go so many places, and they have, and some of those are places we didn't want to go. But <laughs> <laughs> but you can go there. You have Absolutely. the killer. You have the killer. You have the killer doll. And the killer doll can only do so much. You can only add so much twists, and oh, we're bringing Andy back, and the, and it's just you can only do so much before it's like, I, I I don't I don't know where to go.
0: I don't know how you make that series better again. Right. Hey, Paracord Princess here. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. You uh, she uh, Paracord Princess asks Eugene J L just got here. Is a pan- is a pentagram your new logo? Yes. Yes. A pentagram. With the big V in there for season five, so he's, this is the fifth season. So we can thank Josh Olson for that amazing, uh, amazing artwork that he punched out. But yes, that is the uh, the logo for season five. Um, and I see here, J-Vers has brought up. Oh, there's been a bunch of Chucky verses in this. Jayvers said <laughs> Chucky versus Eugene storyboards, and I have to agree with Casey Cooper. The horror, the horror. Yes, absolutely. But Jeremy Duncan said Chucky versus Jail and Eugene no horror icon would survive against us. As a matter of fact, any member of the weekend horror crew, no horror icon would survive. We know we, we have simply seen and know too much. We can turn the tables on any horror icon that tried to come after us. I don't care who it is. We, we, we We know all the tricks we do. We, we would beat them all. You you can't go up against the encyclopedia Britannica of horror and think you're going to get one over on us. It's not going to happen. if a horror icon is going to take us down, it's sure as hell not going to be Chucky. Yeah, sure as shit is not going to be Chucky. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's like you know. I mean, Eugene just pointed out physics. You know, that's what beats <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> Fuck, it's not even. I, I don't even have to do anything supernatural. It's just fucking physics, like you know, reality. You know, like, like okay, doll, punt him off a balcony. Problem solved. You know, take thirty take thirty flights straight to the concrete yeah know, done that's it done lock them up drop them the bottom right. of the ocean
1: <laughs> so yeah it's it, anyway so i want to actually ask the audience where should the franchise go next like we talked about where could it go and there's really hard to tell but i want to know if you have any ideas where the franchise should go honestly put a bow on it send it to space chucky and zero g <laughs> and just admit it just embrace it and just this is where you knew this was going to happen and here we are
0: right yeah i uh yeah i don't i i, I don't know if it can, got, go, is it, we got chucky in space oh robert biters is middle earth <laughs> 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 okay see so angel rivera brings up something good angel versus leave it alone and let it rest in peace and I I have to agree with Angel. I don't think the franchise can go anywhere. That at this point it's it's it, it's not it, it's just beating fan service into the ground because that's all it has to hang on is fan service. And if a franchise can only hang on fan service, then I I don't think there's anywhere to go. So um, Jeremy Duncan says they won't let it rip. You got the damn TV series. Agreed. True. Uh, Extra J says the mo- wait, space. No wait, the moon. So and then of course, and Annie says it should die, like it should die. And Travis Press says nowhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just you know I don't think. Uh, yeah, give, give Chucky. Yes, Tony regime. Good to see you, Tony regime. Says give Chucky some water skis and jump the fucking shark. It, it kind of did, especially with like the 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 whole like it's it's gotten out of control. Especially I don't want to spoil the the second season of Child's Play for anybody, but if you've watched it. You, you know that they pulled the full fucking Fonzie and they literally jumped the shark. So it's just not necessary at this point. I don't know if it has anywhere to go, but the question is for you. If you think it can, definitely let us know down in the comments below or at at gmail.com. Tell us, you know, if you think this franchise still has legs, very little Chucky legs as he runs. So let us know if you still think it actually has some legs or if these things have been worn down to nubs and it just needs to go back in the toy box, you know, to collect dust. I'm very, very curious what people think.
1: Oh, you know, and Derry
0: well, in season three this October, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know what? We have fond member fond memories of watching child Play and child Play Two, and mm-hmm. just leave it as is. Or you can always do Chucky versus like Annabelle type of movie and just completely just whatever. I don't know. Annabelle doesn't do anything anyway, so but yeah, she just lays she,
0: there. She's just a cold fish. She's just so, she's just doing my, my visual imagination is oh, completely different. <laughs> I went a whole different area for that one. <laughs> she came on to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, A huge thank you to NANA. Thank you so much for the gifted membership to the Army of the Dead. Welcome, Glober Mom, to the Army of the Dead. I hope you enjoy those emojis. Uh, But thank you very much, NANA. We appreciate the support. Thank you, NANA. Thank you so much. Right. All right. Let's move on to our last film of the night. We've got one more up. And this one released October 5th, 2001. So we're going to go back in time to the early 2000s. Uh, we have the film. We have the uh, the psychological road trip horror film, Joyride. Let's check out this trailer. Cue up the terror tube of the fucking chuckening. What the fuck, the shit? Uh, no, it's as good as anything else that's been posited. It really is. You know? Let's check out this trailer. All right, that was the trailer for Joyride. And real quick, good to see you, Elizabeth S. Thanks so much for popping in tonight. I do appreciate it. <clears throat> Chucky of the corn. Ugh, now it's getting out of hand. Um, but yeah, that was the trailer for Joyride. And uh, psychological, uh, I would say a psychological uh, road trip horror film that released back in 2001, <clears throat> directed by John Dahl and written by Clay Tarver and J.J. Abrams. Way back in the day. And starring uh, Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, and Lily Sobieski the film follows a group of teens who are basically driving across country and kind of, you know like run afoul of a of an evil truck driver who apparently has like omniscient knowledge of everything that's going on in a very uh hitchcock meets uh hitchcock meets the hitcher style film um but yeah definitely a uh, i would say an enjoyable little film that is definitely a popcorn film that i would say takes elements from the hitcher duel yeah the brodnos and all the same brings up dual... um And I was in a very established in a very kind of uh, Hitchcockian way. So, but a good little cautionary film. I dig cautionary films. There is an enduring appeal to cautionary style films. Whereas this one's a little bit different. Very, the ones we'd have today would be like like you never know who you're talking to online because you know you can't see them, so you never do. Like this one, you never know who's on the other end of the phone. You never know, who, know who's on the other end of the CB, like who you're fucking with, and how pranks can come back and get you because you never you, you don't know who the other person is. So, like an early version of the internet. Yes, Robert Biter, J JJ Abrams. Yep. So Hitcher did a better agreed. Like Hitcher, never you know, never pick up hitchhikers. That was the whole point. You don't pick up hitchhikers, the movie never fucking happens. Don't fuck with people over the radio, the movie never happens. So I but I like cautionary tales because cautionary tales. Are almost the centerpiece of horror since way back in the day, Since we started telling scary stories to each other, in you know, in our most primitive times, we were sharing scary stories to warn people about what not to about things not to do. Because we, you know, like this, where our urban legends come from, which I, which is why I really, I kind of dig this one because it's both a kind of like a nostalgia plus. Uh, kind of like, uh, touching on Hitchcock and the Hitcher, which I thought was neat. It's a good little popcorn film and good acting. Lily Sobieski is fantastic. And of course, uh, Paul Walker, you know, recipes, Paul Walker and Steve Zahn, who is always amazing. Um, whatever he does. Uh, otherwise just a decent, a decent, decent picture. Good popcorn film.
1: Yeah. It's the thing is, it's, it's a fun movie um i will give it that there are obviously movies have done it much better i will go to duel any day um i like duel because it's a it's just a guy by himself in a car it felt like they had to taunt him on the cb radio to justify all this other kind of stuff where you know what i like duel because you the only thing you ever see or hear of him is his arm sticking out the window when he waves by and his boots
0: boots. oh yeah and his boots the boots yeah
1: so that that's really all you see and i and I, i love that movie i mean it's just you can see the brilliance of steven spielberg right off the bat uh from that so this one it's kind of fun it's one of those movies that uh when you look at paul walker's life you don't really bring up I'll bring up Tammy and right. T-Rex more than I'll bring up Joy rock Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's it's
0: it, it it's you know uh, it's uh, uh, how do you even how do you even articulate that? I mean it's just like, you know, art you know art imitates life, you know, imitating uh, like art imitating life imitating art or or life imitating art imitating life. It's just it's it's kind of sad um very very uh, an, uh, an unfortunate coincidence in that respect. Um I, I don't even know where i don't I don't even know where to go with that one. It's kind of like you know, it's like, yeah, it's kind of one of those sad facts of reality um
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those kind of things it's it, it kind of is and it's a it's one of those it falls into the middle ground and it's the the mediocr- mediocrity of movies where it's too good to be considered a bad movie but it's not good yep. enough to be considered like a really great film. So it just lives in this limbo. That's just kind of just there. And I'm pretty sure you can have a couple of hardcore fans about it. I'm pretty sure there's a couple people who hate the movie, but overall, when you're looking at the list of movies or even the list of movies that came out in 2001, no one's going to bring up Joyride.
0: Right. Yeah. It, I, I think, unfortunately it, uh, it was one of those ones that came along that kind of got lost, um, in the, in the post screen. because screen came out in 1996, and Scream Two came out shortly before this one, and you know, with the Scream franchise going on and the whole concept of uh, the of meta horror coming out, classic classic psychological horror films or psychological those in this respect that, that that rely on the tried and true tropes of like like this one cautionary tales kind of felt fall under the radar, and they're just kind of movies that come along that pay well and they're pretty easy to do. They don't require a whole ton of deep you know you know character exploration just to give it is very similar to like you know the movie the hitcher or like like the remake of the hitcher when the one with with scene being um mm-hmm. when that one came out it was very very along the same lines they're not a hard stretch as far as acting goes or directing goes they're pretty by the numbers and unfortunately that one kind of hindered what i but ultimately i think what really hindered this film was the one of the big things about it is that there were a ridiculous amount of del, of deleted scenes in this one the theatrical cut that we get, and even the cut that you see if you just if you go and watch the movie itself, the theatrical cut was kind of it had some very very disjointed moments in it, and I think that worked that ultimately worked against the film, despite the fact that he had some really real talent in this one. The problem was that it was almost like there was a lot of I would say uh, a lot of disagreement on what kind of film they were trying to convey. Like for example, one thing that was always stood out really odd to me was. The character of uh, Lili Sobieski's character, uh, Venna. Venna appears to have a burgeoning, like, romantic relationship going on with both Fuller and with Fuller and his brother, which is kind of odd because you know it's conveyed that Fuller and uh, oh, sorry, it's conveyed that uh, Lewis and Venna are the ones that are supposed to be together, but there is this kind of like burgeoning, like, romantic kind of like energy going between her and uh, Steve Zahn's Fuller. Well, that was because originally, in the original, like in an, in one version of the film, she actually has romantic interludes with both characters. So, but that they decided to cut that out so they could tr- kind of streamline it. But that means that you've thrown off some of the other scenes. So that gives a weird energy there, which kind of throws the characterizations up in the air because you kind of like, Okay, so like how am I identifying with this person and their relationship and their interpersonal relationships? That throws it off, not to mention there was like literally from what i from what I read on this, there is a uh how long was that fucking thing? There was a twenty nine minute long alternate ending uh for the film and four and four more shorter alternate endings. and the one that we got, the theatrical one was the only one where Rusty, with the character of Rusty Nail, survives. All the other ones, he dies in some sort of amazing fashion. And what's wild is that one of the... I don't know if you knew this, but one of, the, one of the deleted scenes involved the truck exploding and then crashing into a water tower. And the water tower spills its water all over the truck and puts the fire out, which gives the ambiguous ending of he could have survived. Maybe he got away because the fire was put out... Fa- if the fire was put out fast enough. And they shot it. They actually shot the sequence... The whole sequence cost $100,000 to shoot that one sequence with, with the water tower. Totally cut. Didn't use any of it. So, See, the,
1: the fact that you told me, because I didn't know. I knew it had a alternate ending. Uh, I didn't know they had that many alternate endings, which r- makes me think they didn't know what they wanted. Right. It's I, I understand one thing where you're like, hey, the ending could be, here or there or sometimes you'll shoot an extra scene or sometimes you'll shoot one scene two different ways because you're kind of may hey, you're on the fence and you want to see which one tests better the audience movies do that all the time but when you're getting into a 29 minute alternate ending you have all three other dis- different renditions of all these endings what that tells me is that the director didn't know what he wanted
0: the, and yeah, that's i would
1: agree and that's where this this it kind of falls apart
0: is that What you're having is the movie has no identity. It's typically, it it typically you see that if, if you're going into production and you don't have a fully completed script when you start.
1: Yeah. So you don't know what it is. It probably was like, well, we could have just a one relationship or we can have she can kind of go between back and forth between we don't know should rusty nail die should he not nail we don't know we don't know we don't know let's just shoot everything and hope that we can put some movie together in editing that's the feel Mm -hmm. and what ends up happening is you get this where the movie has no identity therefore
0: it doesn't stand out right so yeah, of the different ones, I mean, there was a bunch of like uh, of different alternate endings. I think uh, there was one where like Rusty Nail commits suicide with the with his shotgun. One where he gets arrested. One where the brothers kill him. And one that one where he's blown up. And another one where he's run over by his own truck. So there's a number of different ones. The one we got is the one where he actually you know where he where he absolutely is guaranteed you know confirmed that he survives. And there's also a whole bunch of deleted scenes um i think that's why the the film was kind of like harmed itself it was that lack of the lack of a sense of where it was going to go or what it wanted to be if it wanted to go hard into hitcher territory or if it wanted to stay kind of ambiguous in kind of like a hitchcockian area so i i always got the feeling that this film went into production without a fully without a fully formulated script and by the time they got to where they were able to shoot some form of an ending they really weren't sure what they wanted um, initially I thought, well, maybe they did that because they were trying to, oh, they yeah, have plotters. I like the ending with Kurt Russell, the best that was breakdown and a much, and actually a better film than this one. Was. Yes. So, um, I think I, I, I initially thought that they had done that because they wanted to do a bunch of, because in case one ending doesn't test well, they can actually like get those. It was, okay. We have different endings that we can apply. So because we, we, we shot a bunch, so we don't have to do reshoots. So I thought maybe it, may, it might have been a safety thing, but now going back and on the rewatch and watching this, like you know, so many years later, I'm honestly thinking that this was, it was just kind of like they weren't fully prepped. They needed to get a film out. They had the bare bones of a script, and maybe the producers there was some disagreement or some like push and pull between the directors and the and the producer, or between the director and the producer as to wh- what direction this was going to go, what they were going to convey. Which is why we got this kind of like chopped up version. That that made it to theaters. It's kind of like, ah, we got this Paul Walker vehicle. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> we got this Paul Walker, Steve Zahn, Lily Sobieski vehicle. Let's go with this one. And it, it just, it, it could have been a lot better, could have been a lot stronger.
1: Honestly, I would probably go with lack of vision on the director. I'll put some on the producer also, but I'm going to put yeah. most of this on the director because it's one thing if you have multiple endings. And let's say you have one ending where Rusty Neal dies and one ending where he survives. And you're like, okay, we don't know which one will test well. So you have your two endings and you can go either way, right? And a, a completely different endings. I can understand. Or maybe another ending of this. But when you have oh, well, we have four different endings where Rusty Nail dies. Like, that means that the director in the studio could not choose not only what happens to Rusty Nail, but how he dies. Right. And you're going to spend all this money. Oh, it's like, well, does he get run over by the truck? We'll shoot that. Does he get drowned in water? We'll shoot that. We'll shoot that. We'll shoot that. All of those end up with Rusty Nail dying. So you just make it. And then you can test either one on that or maybe you can have another character dies and then one where she doesn't die
0: right and
1: you, so you have a 50 50 they couldn't decide and you're gonna burn through the putt the, they're burned through the budget on shooting all these different endings and who else knows all the stuff that they shot that they couldn't decide on right <clears throat>
0: Yeah, but Jeremy Duncan brings up definitely not his best movie, Paul Walker. I would agree with that. You know, it didn't make use of his talent. Uh, I, I, did, I don't think it made use of anybody's talent. Not to mention the stakes were never super high because I never. you never get the sense as the audience, you never get the sense that any one of these uh, characters are in like extraordinary danger, unlike The Hitcher, whereas, you know, it was established, you know, that one of these characters, both these characters are in extreme danger and it's likely one of them will not make it out of this alive. Um, especially the remake. I thought the remake, but not to mention the, the first Hitcher as well, because Rutger Hauer, I mean, no one's ever going to match that performance. Love Deshaun Bean, um, who was fantastic in their Hitcher remake. Rutger Hauer, you're not going to stop that. You know, Rutger Hauer, C. Thomas Howell, they established the fucking road trip horror, which is fantastic. But yeah, unfortunately I think, you know, this is where the production kind of gets in its way. Kind of, you know, when the, the production can't get out of its own way, the movie can't really be told, which is, which is such a damn shame, because I think it could have been a lot stronger. Definitely it did not deserve, two more fucking movies after this i don't think rusty nail as a character was that compelling but is the voice over the cb the uh whatever uh i, I just unnecessary but hey you got a franchise you may as well milk it,
1: it you know and and looking back at it first of all when you have <clears throat> you have the driver that you can't see so they have to be stuck in an 18 wheeler. that really limits what you can do with the character right. Um, uh, and second of all this has to be a pure cash grab because i just wanted to check and the first Fast and Furious movie came out about three months before this movie came out. So you know that this was probably something that was considered being shelved. And then all of a sudden Paul Walker blows up in... Man, bad, bad use of, bad use of uh, analogies here. Really, really bad. Paul Walker
0: oh does man well. i can't i can <laughs> wow wow paul, dude.
1: paul walker does very well in
0: fast and furious we're going to fucking probably, hell for this one <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I can't talk about him so uh, clearly clearly they're piggybacking off of fast and furious clearly I, 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 yeah i think i think possibly yeah i would agree with that it's it's definitely like capitalizing on paul Walker's sudden rise to fame and then we can put this one out um Oof, that was a bad one. That was so (laughs) bad.
1: I thought you had the worst
0: one. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to beat that. Oh, man, yep. I did. Oh, Paul Walker and car movies. It's just just right there. It's just right there. But anyway, uh, a huge giant thank you to NANA for the gifted membership. I do appreciate that. Welcome, Mr. B, to the Army of the Dead. And a huge thank you to – Dr. Nimrod, who gifted five Army of the Dead memberships. Thank you very, very much. We do appreciate that support. And, of course, NANA, who dropped a super chat for $6.66, our favorite super chat number, said, I loved Breakdown. A lot of that movie was done right in my backyard. I did watch it in theaters when it was out. I also watched it as well. Kathleen Quinlan, Kurt Russell, J.T. Walsh, fuck yes. How could you deny that one? It was fucking amazing. That movie was awesome. Not to mention a fantastic ending. Gotta love that one. That would just, and the writing on it was just was just sublime.
1: Yeah, yeah see what happens when you have good writing?
0: Yes. And uh, Travis Brown likes to know that Paul Walker was in an episode of Highway to Heaven. I think it's time for the CTA. <laughs> <laughs> Tesla Radio, good to see you. Uh he says too soon. Too soon. Maybe too soon. But thank you, Travis Brown. I appreciate that. That was, uh, I, I hope somebody, somebody will find that funny. Someone's in their car going to listen to this. Hopefully if you're in your car, like listening to this or in your like office, listening to the show and you got a laugh out of that, let us know down in the, down in the comments. I'm really curious, but yes, I want to ask the audience. Um, and no, I'm not asking the audience, like which of the joy rides was the best because you know, no, what I do want to ask though, is given what, what Joyride ostensibly was, is a cautionary movie. Is it, it's basically a cautionary tale is ostensibly what that was. So my curiosity is what is your favorite cautionary tale horror film where those old kind of like tales we used to tell ourselves to warn children or to warn the teenagers from going off and doing things. What is your favorite cautionary tale horror? Let us know down in the comments below at horror at gmail.com. Love to hear what you guys think. Absolutely. Let us know.
1: I See, I have to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of cautionary tale horror films. Uh, I'm not saying there there are plenty of good ones out there, but I'm not a fan of the genre as a whole. Because to me, it's always scarier being more like at the wrong place at the wrong time. Ah, Where you have something like The Strangers. That's always more terrifying because you have, it's just a couple that's just going out to uh, a house. And like, that's it. That's why are you doing this? Because you were home
0: because you're home
1: because you're home. And so when you have, when you have the people who are more at the wrong place at the wrong time, that can literally happen to anybody. And that's what's, that's what's terrifying about it.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Jeremy Duncan says, Alice in Wonderland. Best cautionary tale. (laughs) Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. (laughs) Plot says, guess he wasn't in an episode of touched by an angel ouch wow oh. Oh, oh man it just, it just hurts you know we're gonna get so people can get so mad at us for this episode all right well you know what time it is that's the last of our movie so it means it's that time what time is it eugene it's you can't see my hands <laughs> trivia time! Oh. it is trivia time
1: all right it's trivia time so get those google fingers ready and the first person to answer is in the comments below if the correct answer will win a mystery prize from the weekend horror store so the question for tonight is this what was the villain rusty nail who was physically portrayed by an uncredited matthew kimbrough actually credited as what was the villain, Rusty Nail, who was physically portrayed by an uncredited Matthew Kimbrough, actually credited as?
0: The first person with the correct answer in the chat below will win. All right. I see Andrew Vera's got the first one in there. and says, Ted Le- uh, While Ted Levine did portray the voice of Rusty Nail over the CB, that is not what Rusty Nail was credited as in the credits of the film. And Robert Bider also said Ted Levine. Tony Regime said Pee-wee Herman. That's freaking hilarious. Uh, tra- <laughs> uh, Travis Brown also uh, said Clancy Brown. No, not Clancy Brown. Was, oh, Jeremy Duncan, why, oh, why did we have to pick Joy Wright as the trivia question? Um, but yeah, so yeah, Ted Levine did portray the voice and Matthew Kimbrough portrayed the, uh, portrayed the physical, uh, the body. But both of them were actually uncredited in the film. So, Rusty Nail was credited as something else. What was Rusty Nail credited as in the film? I know uh, someone so, out there is going to find it. Oh, this one's coming. Dude. This was a tough one.
1: Oh, we got a couple others. See, we got Ken Krenz- Krenzinger. Ken Krenzinger, yep. Which is incorrect. Yep. We also have Matthew Kimbrough,
0: which was also incorrect. Because that was in the question itself. And I, Travis got it. Got Travis, it. Yeah, Travis got it. The first one, it was Clavo. Rusty Nail was credited as Clavo in the credits of the film. He was credited at the very bottom after everybody else. It was Rusty Nail as um, uh, Rusty Nail was portrayed as Clavo because Clavo is Spanish for nail. There, I guess they were being cute. I have no uh, idea, guess, but yeah, that sure. that's what he was credited as in the credits. And I see that Angel Rivera also got it Clavo. Um, but yeah, oh, wrote, wrote the name Peter Dinklage. That's that's hilarious. That's awesome. So I would watch but, that. <laughs> I would watch it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, The Shania Twain Massacre? Fuck yeah. What is it? The Shania Twain Saw Massacre? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations, Travis Brown. Let me get your name down. Uh, You got that correct. It was Clavo. And we are going to shoot you something from the Season 5 line. We're giving away items from the Season 5 line. So look forward to something coming your way very, very soon. All right, Uh, that is going to so that horror fiends going to close out an episode of the Week in Horror podcast. But before we go, we have something special that we want to uh, that I want to add, and I want to ask you. Oh, Raven Dark says tricks, ticks, and air horns. I hate you, JL, but I love you, Raven, and I always will. We all will. We all here at Week in Horror. We love, we love you. So, oh yeah, yeah. Travis says, give me one of those season five items. It's on. It's on its way, my friend. But wait, there's more. So Eugene. You there? Oh, yeah. I'm still here. Okay, because I can't see you. All I see is the virtual nipple. So, you so, recently directed a short film, did you not? Oh, I did. You did? Oh, yes. Yes,
1: I did. Something, so the, uh-huh. something that we completed
0: and that was screened at a movie theater this past Sunday. It was. It was. And if I remember correctly that film actually starred our very own johnny o did it not yes it did yes it did not only did
1: it star our very very talented johnny o but johnny o actually got an award for outstanding performance
0: i know live chat i'm as fucking shocked as you are i play i play i play but if, if last I checked, he was, he was act- inches away from being recast. But-, actually, but but last I checked, we actually have this right. We 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 have this to show all of the amazing people in the audience, right? Oh yes, we do. What would the live chat think about popping over to the Discord after the show's over, and checking out the premiere of the zombie film Dead End? Starring our very own Johnny O, along with Precious Peck from 11 to 6, and directed by our very own Eugene, Eugene Hawkins. Would y'all like to see that? Because that's where we're going to go after the show is over. We're going to debut Dead End over in the Discord. So be sure to get over there. The link, if you're not in there, if you're not in our Discord, the link is down in the description. So but we're going to debut Dead End. The zombie film that directed was directed by Eugene Hawkins and starring our very own Johnny O and the lovable and amazing, precious, amazingly talented Precious Peck. So be sure you get over there to watch that. So that right there, our horror, our horror fans, is going to close out this week's episode of the Week in Horror podcast. So I want to thank you all so much for joining us. We truly really hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, smash those likes. Bye, bud. Be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode join us next week when we look back at the toby hooper cult classic toolbox murders the compelling and violent i am lisa an inevitable journey to space in critters 4 yes we're going there and the 2011 the thing prequel should be interesting be sure to check out josh olsen's store at badsamurai.store he does all the amazing artwork you see splattered all over our merch which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Week in Horror, check out all the bloody links down in the description. Follow us on the socials, uh, and X as long as it's there, for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord, like we said before, for watch parties, big announcements like fucking premieres, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. And support the show through channel memberships, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank you all for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could possibly have. I am JL. And I'm a nipple. (laughs) Uh, We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.